So this morning, if you would, take your Bibles out and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We're continuing our series um, this morning entitled Next Steps. Now last week we began uh, unpacking this idea of um, and the thoughts that, that we now are a church. We're in this location that God has called us to this part of Marcus Street, to this part of Wilmington. And he's given us a sole purpose of reaching this community, but also going to the ends of the earth. But he's also given us the need to, to grow in our own faith, in our own walk with the Lord. So last week, we began asking the question, what is our next step as a church? But also, what is um, how do I fit into, how do I personally fit into this church? church and this thing that the Lord is doing here in Wilmington. And those are the kind of the questions that we've begun to ask and we're going to continue to ask as we walk through this series. And so last week we looked at the the need for us individually. If we hope to see God do amazing things in this church and in this community, we looked at the need for us to individually connect with the Lord. How it's important for each one of us to spend time with the Lord, making sure that we are walking with Him, that we're getting to know His heart and getting to know His voice, so that when He leads us, we will know and we'll be able to follow. So today, I want us to take a look at Acts chapter 2 as we will continue our study, taking a look at what we must do next. Now, I want us to be be aware that in life, uh, there's a lot of Money. There's a lot of time and there's a lot of research and there's a lot of um, resources that go into developing proper environments for growth. Now, I, I'm, I'm aware that, that uh, DuPont and other seed companies spend a lot, a lot of money and a lot of research and a lot of time trying to find specific seeds or trying to genetically alter seeds so that they'll, they'll grow in the right environments. I was listening to a talk that someone from DuPont was giving a, a couple months ago, and they were talking about this new seed that they've developed that is a seed that helps... Um, grain to grow or corn to grow during drought. So it's a drought-resistant seed. Now, that specific seed would grow well where there's not a lot of um, moisture and not a, a lot of sun, but not a lot of rain. And so they've genetically altered and they fixed and they developed something to grow in the right environment. I'm also aware of, of other developments that have been made for, for bakers, if you've ever done a lot of baking, especially if you've baked on a commercial level, there's a thing called the proof box. Does anyone know what a proof box is? Okay, a proof box is actually something, it's, it's a, um, a big box where you put your dough in and it has a lot of moisture and has a lot of warmth and it helps the yeast to interact and causes the yeast and the bread to rise in a lot quicker way. So the proof box is a altered place where growth can take place in a great and an alarming way. And so we can look at lots of different places. There's, there's the need and the developing environments for growth are good. Bodybuilders, if they want to work on their body and make them buff and big and strong, where are they going to go? To a gym. They're not going to, the environment for growth is not KFC, right? Well, it is. It's an environment for growth, but it's not an environment for growth, right? So we, un- we understand that, and we see that there are specifically great environments for that. But what about the believer? Where does the environment for growth for, for the Christian, the person that has come to know Christ, the person that is, has come to place their faith in Jesus Christ, to allow him to forgive them of their sins and to help them to walk in the ways of him, what is the environment that God has given us for growth? 
Does anyone know the answer? Okay, discipleship, that's, that's one of the avenues through which we grow. But what is the place that he has given us to do discipleship in? The church. All right. So the church has become the proof box or the church has become the right environment for growth. Now, what amazes me, and, and, and I used to be this way, and it wasn't until the Lord shepherded me and, and cared for me, is that I thought it was possible for me to grow in my faith and to take my gifts and talents and abilities and use them for the Lord outside of the church. I didn't see how the two were connected. I didn't see how my faith in Christ was connected to my membership or my connection to a local body of believers. But I want us to see, and we're going to see here in this passage today, that the church is the environment that God has given believers as a place to grow. So as church leaders, as the church pastor, it is my responsibility before the Lord to make sure that this place and to lead the church in this place to be a right environment for growth to take place. Now, I myself cannot make anyone grow just in the same way that even farmers that plant seeds in the right soil, that that give it the right water and try to do all that they can to fertilize and all that. No farmer can make a plant grow. You know who makes those plants grow? God. Do you know who makes believers grow? God. So our responsibility as a church is to make sure that this is the right environment for growth, but none of us can make any of us grow. That's a work of the Lord. And I want us to see that today from this passage in Acts chapter 2, as we will look at the need for us to grow and to be devoted to the Lord. So let's look. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling the possessions and good, they gave to everyone that had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for this time. Father, may you draw us close to you as we come under the teaching of your word. May your word speak to our hearts. Challenge us, encourage us, and change us. So that we may be less like ourselves and more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we look at this, this passage in Acts, Acts chapter 2, I want us to give us, give us a little bit of background. So what has just taken place in the beginning of the book of Acts is that, that Christ has come back from the dead. Christ has gathered his disciples together. He spent 40 days with them. And he is taking, giving them many proofs and signs and wonders as to why they can trust in him, that he is alive, that he was who he said he was. And then he's telling them he, he has come to establish the church. And now he is, uh, at the beginning of the book of Acts, he has gone up into to heaven, descended back to heaven, where he uh, is up there and he's looking down and he's, he's giving his love and his care to creation and to those that, that love him. But then we also see that the disciples began carrying out the mission that God had given them. For God had given them the mission to take his message, his name, from where they were to the ends of the earth. And they've begun doing that. And we see that in Acts chapter 2, the beginning of this thing called Pentecost takes place. Where the uh, droves of people come into the city and Peter begins preaching. 
And as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit comes down and does amazing things. And people by the thousands are drawn to Christ. And so what begins to happen is these new believers that now have gone from their lives where they live for themselves. They're now living for the Lord. They've understood grace. and They've understood freedom. They've understood forgiveness. They now need to begin to congregate together and live in this thing called the church. And they don't know what they're doing. They have a lot of questions. They don't have a whole lot of answers. And they're trying to figure this thing out. It sounds a lot like what God is doing in in our campus. I'm becoming more and more aware that we have a lot more questions now than we have answers. Uh, we're We're asking a lot of great questions like, how do we do this? How do we grow? How do we impact the kingdom? How do we impact our community? How do we connect? How do we care for children in our church? How do we care for the different people that are coming to our church? Those are lots of good questions. And I believe the new believers and the apostles, as they gathered together, were asking some of those questions. And you know where they went to find the answers to those questions? Always to the Lord. And God always continues to guide and direct them. And so what we see here in Acts chapter 2, we get a glimpse into what these first churches began to look like on the inside. We get to see what they did and what they looked like and how they lived within their community in this small snapshot. We get to see that. And so by looking at it, we can also look to help inform us as how we as a church or campus should look like. So as we begin here, we can see that the the fellowship of believers, as they were living together, as they were worshiping together, we see that they did some things. If you look with me at the very beginning of verse 42, it says something. They, meaning these new believers that had just come to faith in Christ, it says they devoted themselves. So I think that's the first thing that we need to understand. The early church was devoted to something. They showed devotion. When they came to faith in Christ, the Lord reprioritized every aspect of their lives. Their devotion transitioned from themselves to the Lord through the church. And I know we all live in the same world today. We know that the world we live in today, there's constant competition for our devotion. Everywhere we go, from the moment that we wake up to the time that we actually fall asleep, there are these thoughts and these competing claims over our lives. There are products that want us to buy them, that that promise that we'll have joy if we we purchase them. There are vacations or spaces that, that promise joy if we go and be a part of them. There are jobs that say, if you come and be a part of me, you will have joy and you'll have peace. And then there's this idea that if there's our family and our devotion to our family wanes or uh, drags for our attention or draws for our attention. So we see that we're in a world that's vying for all of our attention and all of our devotion. And it's good for us today to look and be reminded of what the early church did, where their hearts were, where their devotion was, where their passions lied. And we also know if we we read through the book of Acts and we read through the rest of the New Testament, we can see that when the early church, when their devotion to the Lord waned, we see that difficulties came. Difficulties come right on the cusp of when their, their devotion to the Lord waned. All of these, these trials and all these, these difficulties came right after that. But we look here and we can see that these early believers, what were they devoted to? 
we can see very specifically they were devoted to four things. The first thing, we see that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They knew that they needed the word of God. They were building their lives and they were building the church on the word. They made the word a priority. So they devoted their lives to being under the teaching of the word. They were basically taking their lives and saying, this is the word of God. I need to learn it, know it, understand it, hear it, so that I may come under submission to this. So many times we, we want to come to the word of God and we want to say, this is what I think, this is what I feel, this is what I believe. And then we take those things and we place them here and try to justify what we think, what we feel, what we believe. And we try to find and make this say what we feel, what we believe, and what we know. But what we need to understand is the believers, they devoted themselves to coming to this, the word of God itself, and allowing it to change what they thought, what they believed, what they felt, what they did. And that's such a need in our own lives today that we must be people that are devoted to biblical teaching. That's why we have Sunday mornings. That's why we meet here on Sunday mornings. We worship the Lord, but we also come so that we as a a corporate body of believers may show that we are devoted to the teachings. And what are we devoting ourselves to the teachings of? The apostles. For it is the apostles that have given us the... A lot of the New Testament is the Lord himself through the apostles and through the other biblical writers that have given us his word so that we may know how that we should live. So it's important, as we see the early believers, it's important for us also to be devoted to the apostles' teachings. We see that these people, as they had faith in Christ and they came to live in this new life, none of them lived their lives on their own. They weren't lone rangers where they got their faith and then continued to live on their own. But instead, they received faith, they received it with joy, and they found a connection to a community where they could grow together. So they were devoted to this teaching. The second thing that we see is they were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to sharing in life together. They were not anonymous attenders. They didn't just come to the congregation of people that were learning this new faith. They did not just come and come sit in a a seat and then at the end take off and have their life on their own. No, they came and they began to do life with the others that were a part of that community. They did and they walked through life together. They were fellow followers of of Christ. So they devoted themselves to this fellowship. The next thing they devoted themselves to was the breaking of bread. Now, this is the idea or it's a connection to to the Lord's Supper. For we know that it's in the Lord's Supper that we do a couple things. One, we are reminded of our need of a Savior. We're reminded that it's through Jesus' broken body and spilled blood that we only have our hope for salvation. It's only in those things that we have hope. And so in some ways, it's, it's a leveling of the playing field too. For it doesn't matter what we look like coming into this place or what we look like coming to the cross. It's at the foot of the cross that we are all equal. For it doesn't matter who our parents were. It doesn't matter what kind of education we have. It doesn't matter what mistakes we've made in life. At the foot of the cross, we are all needy people who need the Lord. And so they had to, these early believers devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. 
so that they would be reminded that they all are in need of a Savior, but it also was an opportunity for them to proclaim to the world that they are different, for that's what the Lord's Supper reminds us. We drink this bread and we do this cup. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. So we see here that they were devoted to the breaking of bread. The last thing that we see here that they were devoted to, they were devoted to prayer. They were people of prayer. As they gathered together corporately, but also individually, through this idea of community that they lived in, they were people that prayed. They were not trusting in themselves. They weren't trusting in in the group, but they were trusting in the Lord. For they had concerns. They had fears. They had doubts. For this is what the people were going through. Those that were uh, Jewish people at the beginning. When they came to Pentecost and accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior at that day, what they did was they gave up their old life. Their fellowship with their culture, their fellowship with their past, their fellowship with their heritage, in some sense, in some ways, was connected, but it was also broken. For the believers had to gather in and among themselves that were apart from their heritage, even though their heritage pointed to Christ. But those that were, were Jews in that area disassociated themselves from these new believers. And so they had some concerns. Some of them lost their jobs. Some of them lost everything that they had built their lives around. They lost all of that. And so they had grave concerns and they knew what it was to follow Christ. And so as they're following Christ, they're sharing in their concerns and they're praying to the Lord, asking the Lord for help. And so instead of trying to fix things all on their own, they lifted their concerns to the only one who knew their needs, and so the only one that could do something about their needs. So we see that there's a need for devotion. There's a, there's a need for us as believers here today. If the early church believers were devoted to teaching, devoted to fellowship, devoted to breaking of bread, and devoted to prayer, then our hearts and lives should be devoted to the same thing. We should see that there is a priority in our lives to come together in a corporate way to worship the Lord, to to listen to the Lord, to fellowship with one another, to share in the Lord's Supper with one another, and to share in prayer with one another. So if we look at this, we see that it's as our church, as the church at Loma's responsibility to make sure that we are developing environments for this growth and this devotion to take place. We must provide opportunities for teaching, and we do that. We have opportunities for teaching. On Sunday morning, you have a great opportunity to hear teaching through preaching, but you also have a great opportunity to hear teaching and be a part of the discussion through Bible study or through Sunday school. We also have opportunities for fellowship to take place. If you look at our schedule as a church from 9 o'clock till 9.30, that's strategic. It's not just a place for people to, to show up. Uh, just so that you can be on time for worship, though that's a good thing. But that 9 o'clock to 9.30 time is a time for fellowship. Now, in lots of church life, fellowship usually means eating. And so we try to do that as well. We give you coffee and we give you some donuts. But the whole idea from 9 to 9.30 is for you to connect with believers, our fellow church members, and for those visitors that are coming, for us to connect with people and show love and care and concern during that time. 
So you have that opportunity for fellowship and for teaching. And we also, on Sunday mornings, have an opportunity for the Lord's Supper to take place. And we do that on a consistent basis throughout the year. But it's also an opportunity for us to have, be a place where prayer takes place. So Sunday morning, we specifically come together for the worship and also for Bible study. We also have fellowship on Sunday morning, but we also are working towards providing fellowships and in the small group settings throughout the week. Um, this past uh, few weeks ago, we started a, a home Bible study in prayer time on Wednesday nights at, at Matt and Bryn Dixon's house. And so if you weren't aware of that, that's a way that you connect with believers outside of the Loma uh, setting but it's an opportunity for you to grow in relationship with others. This summer, we're also gonna, you're going to hear about um, upcoming opportunities for women to gather for a women's Bible study. You'll have an opportunity to gather for that. And, and as we continue to grow and as you will become aware, there will be more and more opportunities for us to gather together outside of here um, to fellowship and to study God's word together. But then we also have a time of prayer. Our church is a church that cares about praying. There's a lot more praying that we could do and a lot more prayer that we should do. But as a campus, we meet the last Friday of every month at 6 o'clock a.m. right over here. So if you're not doing anything on, on Friday mornings at 6 a.m., you can come meet us right over here. We pray, and we pray over the concerns that have been voiced from those that attend. Um, the, w- periodically, we have prayer cards that are given out to you that we ask you, fill these out because we'll be praying for them. And that's what we do on Friday mornings. We, the purpose of the, the Friday morning meeting time to pray is to pray for the concerns that you've written out, that you've asked us to pray for. So as a church, we pray for that. But we also pray for our church, and we also pray for our community during that time as well. So if you want to participate in prayer and you want to grow in prayer and be devoted to prayer, the last Friday, mor- Friday of the month at 6 a.m., right over here, you can meet with us to, to pray. But really it comes down to, as we see, the need for us to find personal devotion to the Lord and to the church. I know some of you have, have been coming and you've been a part of the life of this church since it started. And for that, we're so very thankful. And for many of you that, that came from Hokesson to, to come and be a part of this, many of you are showing great devotion to the Lord. For it takes a lot of ministry and it takes a lot of service for a church that's as young as we are to grow. So many of you are working three and four different ministry opportunities and you're, you're, the church is continually on your mind and I thank you for that. But some of you are sitting back there saying, I, I want to be devoted, I just wasn't quite sure. Thank you so much for sharing with me how I could be more devoted. Sunday morning, through life groups, through prayer time, we have a lot of different opportunities for you to be involved in that. So the early church showed devotion, we showed devotion. The second thing I want us to see from this um, passage is that the early church displayed Life. The early church displayed life. Look with me in verse 43. Everyone, now this everyone that this verse is referring to was not, every, not also everyone that was inside of the church, but it was everyone also that is outside of the church, those that weren't a part of this community of faith. It says, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as they had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. So from their devotion 
and participation in the life of the church, we can see that there were amazing results. I love verse 47. The end of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. See, the Lord is in the process and is in on mission to advancing his kingdom in the hearts of people. And his desire is to really see, as we see in, in, in the New Testament, his desire is for all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. And he desires for people to come to know him. But what we see here in the life of the church, as the church began to live itself as a community, there were many distinctives that as the world saw them living like this, they were amazed. For we know that the early church was made up of individual people. And these individual people were walking with the Lord on their own. But they were devoted also to walking with and sharing in life in the context of the church. And when they did this, that life, the, the people that were living one way, but now were living a different way, and the way the outside saw these people living in community together, it amazed them and it caused quite a stir. We see that they were filled with awe. They were in amazement. Everyone was filled with awe. Now imagine that for a moment. If there was a community of believers that, that lived and worshipped on the corner of, of Market Street and 3rd. And Is this 3rd? 3rd Street. Third and Market Street. If there was a, a community of believers that met here on Sunday morning and people just walked by here or came into the coffee shop during the week and, and as soon as they walked in or as they saw how we lived and how we interacted with one another, they were filled with awe and wonder. Wouldn't that be amazing? This early church, many signs and wonders were being seen. For the apostles were involved in helping the lame to walk and the deaf began to talk. And we see that the broken people were being restored. And I want us to be aware and still see the magnitude of all of this. Though the Lord is still active in this very much the same way as he was back in the New Testament, back in the book of Acts. For when the church acts like the church, miracles still take place. Miracles still take place. Now, we no longer have the gift of apostleship, but we still have the gift of God within us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And as we live as the Lord wants us to live, we see miracles take place and can see miracles take place every day. For people that were dead in their transgressions and and the life that they live in through their faith can come alive. So we still today can see dead people live as Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us. We can still see people that are walking through life with broken lives, lives that are not making sense, lives that are not founded in Christ. We can see people who are chasing after the things of this world stop and through Christ come to follow him and be restored. There are many, many miracles that we can still see. And when the world looks in on our community here and sees what God does in the life of this church, they will be in awe as well. Sometimes we, we stop and we think that things aren't so amazing when they really are. The fact that God takes people that, that have so many desires and so many plans and so many things 
and he causes them to be devoted to meeting together in this place on Sunday morning, that's pretty amazing. For really, in your lives, you all have a choice on whether or not to be here. You also have a choice on what you do on Saturday night, too. And so many times we choose, we can choose to do things on Saturday night that keep us out way late into the wee hours of the morning, and we're so tired on Sunday morning that we can choose not to come. But it's amazing that there is devotion that you are here on Sunday mornings. So we see that there are still signs and wonders that can take place when the church acts like the church. Second thing that we see is that we see what took place and what this community looked like is that all believers were together and they had everything in common. We see as the church was living together, they provided care for one another. Now what... what um, Luke is talking about here as he's writing this book and giving the accounts. What he's not saying is, is that what the people did or what the early church did was everyone that was a part of the church, they went and they sold everything. They sold their land, they sold their cars, they sold their businesses, they sold everything. He's not saying that they sold all that and brought it all together into a big storehouse. So they weren't creating some kind of utopian um, community in which they, there were no laws, there were no rules, there was just togetherness and love. That's, that's not what they were doing. But instead, what the people were doing is, is as they were living in life together, they realized that they had a responsibility to care for their family, to provide for their family, but they also had an opportunity to provide for one another. So as there was need within the church, if a need arose from a, 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 a couple or a family or a person within the church, the church did all that it could to care for that need so that the person could continue to be a part of the community but also continue to walk towards the Lord. So there would be someone that would come and maybe there was a, a, a church member that, that lost their house in a fire and this was before insurance. And so what the church would do is they'd come along this family and the church might sell, people in the church might sell things that they no longer needed in order to provide for the family that lost their home. Now, when the, world, when the world sees that and when the world saw that, they were amazed by that as well. For all the believers were together and they shared everything that was in common. So they shared when there was a need and they cared for one another. We also see that they, they met together. They met together daily. They didn't just gather together on, on one day during the week, but we see that throughout the week, there was a connection in their lives. There was a connection as they went through the things of life. We see here that they continued in the temple courts. Now, there's a, a, a natural tendency when we become a believer and we begin to, to work and to live within the church, we want to cut ourselves off from the world. We want to become a, a, a holy huddle. But what we see here is the early church didn't do that. Instead of becoming a community that was a closed community, instead of just staying unto themselves, where did they go? They went back to the temple courts. Now, what was significant about the temple courts? The temple courts was where they were before they came to know Christ. They still went back to those places where there were people that didn't know the Lord. There were people that were following the law that God had given them that wasn't leading them to life, but instead it was leading them to death. And where did they go? They didn't go there and take their Bibles and their tracts and be obnoxious to those people. Instead, they went back to the temple courts with love and care and concern. They continued to share this message of Jesus to those that didn't know him. Daily, they continued to go back and to be among the people. They were very caring. 
They were together among those that were not of them. I wonder what that would look like in our current context. I wonder what that really looks like. How, how does, what does that really look like for us? And I think it's important for us to be reminded that as believers, we come and we don't just come and have our faith on Sunday morning where we come together and we're like, hey, I'm a believer today. I know many of you have the burning desire on your hearts and you understand God has given you the mission mind, that he has given you the job that you have. He's given you the group of people in your circle so that you be a believer among that group. But you're asking the question, how? Right? How do I be a believer at my workplace? How do I be a believer in this city? Those are the questions that you should be asking because those are the questions when you ask them of the Lord, he shows you exactly how you're supposed to do it. I don't believe that the Lord wants us to go to work with our, our pockets full of tracks. And as soon as we hear someone say a cuss word, we're like, here you go, here's your track, you need Jesus. He doesn't want us to be like that, but he wants us to live in community among those that he's placed us around. So we live loving them, caring with them, and sharing with them. And we're actually going to have a sermon in two weeks that will specifically be all about that. So come back for that sermon so that you'll hear and and you'll be better prepared how to engage people at work. But we see that's what the early church was doing. They didn't segregate themselves from the world, but instead they engaged the world that they lived in. But we also see that not only did they engage the world that they were in, they met together daily. They, They broke bread in homes. So basically they would gather together and they ate together. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever your, your family gets together for special things, what do you guys do? We eat, right? If you're going to grandma's house for Christmas, what are you going to do at grandma's house? You're going to eat. Thanksgiving, you eat. Everywhere we go, whenever we try to get together as a family, one of the things that we do is eat. And why is that so important? Because it's, there's something about the sharing in of food and the sharing in of fellowship that is so sweet and intimate. And so what, Paul, uh, what, what Luke is saying is that's what the church did. Together, not, maybe not the whole church. They didn't all, all 60 of them get together or 3,000 of them and go from house to house to house. But, but pockets within the church had fellowship together where they went from house to house and they shared in meals together. We have a great opportunity to do that as well because we meet together on Sunday morning and we finish up at lunchtime. And so everyone has to go from this place to go and eat lunch, right? We all eat lunch at sometime around noon on Sunday afternoon. Well, what a great opportunity for us to take that as an opportunity, connect with others and eat together after church. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that all the time, but what I'm saying is, is that I think the world would see that and they would be uh, attracted to that as well. And what's amazing about our church that I love so much is if you look around, There's a lot of diversity here. There's a lot of beauty in diversity. We have college students that are coming. We have those that have just, they're still single and they just got out of college. We've got those that are just newly married. We've got those that have been married for a little bit. And then we've got those that are married with children. We've got those that are married with teenagers. And then we've got those that are post-married. We've got some that are no longer married. We have those um, that We have people all over the spectrum. And what a beautiful thing for us to have the opportunity to share in meals together so that we can gain wisdom but also give wisdom. For I'm I'm aware that when we eat together, it's an opportunity for us to share in life together. 
I love going to dinner with those that have children that are older than my children. For in that time, it's obvious that I know that they're looking in, those that have older children than us, and they eat with us. They look and they see how we're um, trying to raise our children. They're like, you know, you get that. You're like, you know that they're like, I wish you'd do it better. You could do it differently. And, And what's amazing is that you can go and during those times of conversation, you can learn things about parenting. You can learn of things to come. I'm, I'm continually aware every time we go someplace and, I, and I'm walking with my four girls right behind me, older people will come up to me and they'll say, man, you truly are blessed. And I'm like, yeah, I am. And they're like, well, take heed to this because it's gonna go by so fast. It's gonna go by so fast. I hear that over and over and over again. So those moments when I'm going crazy and we're trying to give the kids a bath and it's like trying to give bath to cats, yeah, I'm, I remember bath time. It's, it's crazy. Suds and soap and going all over the place, water splashing all over the place, kids dangling from the curtain rod and all this other stuff. It's just crazy madhouse. I try to remember in those moments that this is fleeting, that this is only going to be for a short time. So to enjoy those times. But then I'm also aware of the opportunities that God gives me to have lunches and, and meals with, with people that are in the stage below me how I have the opportunity to share about discerning God's will and how do you know um, whom the one that you should marry. I love having those conversations. Those are my favorite conversations to have when people come and say, well, what do I do about my job? I've got these opportunities and I just don't know what to do. I love having those conversations because it helps us grow together in heart, but also helps to give wisdom that the Lord has, has blessed uh, me with and, and my wife with as well. So the beauty of sharing in meals together that, that needs to take place outside of here because it's hard to do that on a Sunday morning. It's hard to really have that deep fellowship and sharing in meals together while we're here having pieces of donut and other things, which are really good, by the way. So we break bread in homes. That's what the church has done, and that's what we should continue to do, where when we break from here, we don't fully scatter, but we continue to enjoy one another's company. So we see this from the word of God as he gives us instructions as to what we are to do. But I want us to see and not miss. When we are devoted to what the Lord wants us to be devoted to, we begin to look differently. The Lord shows up and the Lord does something amazing. The Lord always adds to their number daily those that were being saved. We heard a very similar promise in the book of Joshua that we looked at last week. We saw that the Lord promised that if Joshua and God's people stayed close to the Lord, every place that their foot went, they would have success, they would have victory. We see again a very similar promise. If we do the things that the Lord asks us to do, and we stay close to him and stay close to other believers, what he will do is he will add to the numbers. Now, we're not just here for the numbers. That's not our our purpose, but our, our purpose is to see lives change. We want to be involved in having our lives change individually, but we also want to be a part of seeing God change lives of others. So this morning, as we end our time under the word and under the teaching of the word, before we have an opportunity to sing, I want you to ask yourself this question. What is it that you are devoted to? Are you fully devoted to the Lord in, in, in living that out in the church? Or does your heart or devotion lie someplace else? If you're devoted to anything else other than the Lord, you're missing a great and glorious blessing. 
and being in the place where God loves you most so that when the difficulties and trials come, they don't phase you, but you know you have the promise of having a Savior that will walk with you through them. If you're here today and you realize that you're devoted to something other than the Lord, I'm going to ask you to take the few moments as I pray and just reconnect yourself and recommit yourself to the Lord and what he's doing.